0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number thirty-one, and it is more importantly part two of our Christmas special. As we Merry are Christmas. doing, that's it. As we are doing the second half of our discussion of adaptations of Dickens' *Christmas Carol*. And you know, Maggie, one of the things that I learned from this process was I, I, I've gotten a glimpse of what a massive industry adaptations of *A Christmas Carol* are. yeah i was
1: gonna say like the thing i've gotten from this is how many i didn't know existed and i thought i had a really good handle on all the christmas films ever in existence (laughs) minus the hallmark ones but yeah like just going through them i I fell down a rabbit hole the other day of like the top 10 adaptations of a christmas carol i was like i don't know if i could need 10 and some of the ones on that list i had never even seen yes
0: i mean even just like trying to find the 1951 version yeah I'm like there are like 15 versions between 1935 and 1960 and I'm like which one is it and then uh, it's just it's amazing to me it's amazing yeah. to, like as I've been searching to find the ones that we've been doing you know and the all of the others that have been coming up it's just incredible to me how much um uh how much how frequently this has been it's not just like the popularity of even a reasonable number of like adaptations. Yeah. It's just like this constant churn of new but adaptations just, of this story. It
1: just ticks all the boxes. Right. You yeah. know, I mean, it's a Christmas film, which almost always makes money. It has the nostalgia element of like a Victorian Christmas, which is always beautiful and stuff. And even if it's like a modern retelling, there's usually some element of a Victoriana that they throw in there. Like we're going to talk about Scrooge and spirited both right. have that. So does black So does Doctor Who. Okay. All of them do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's there's so many things that are just familiar with that. That even if you don't know Dickens, you're going to be somewhat familiar with the story. So an adaptation of that, familiarity, nostalgia, Christmas, yeah, tick tick tick. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many more than than I envisioned.
0: So many, so many. It's a it's just it's, it's like a whole fascinating field of study. You know, uh, Christmas Carol, also, Dickens adaptations.
1: I also feel like there's like a covert adaptation sect that we haven't even touched on. Somebody mentioned in the the chat just now um, all the TV episodes. There's loads that are like straight off riffs of a Christmas Carol, but I think there's tons more that are like quietly using Christmas Carol as their model and talking about changing somebody for the better and you know having them see the error of their ways. So I just feel like it's so ingrained Yeah. In people they, don't, they might not even realize they're doing it.
0: Yeah, and and um, and you're right. The um, the you could even say it's almost like a fourth category and like the, the ways I was trying to categorize things of a retelling adaptation, a fill in the blanks adaptation, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and a rearrangement adaptation. There is almost a fourth category. It's like an extreme rearrangement, right? Where you're not even doing an actual, a full adaptation of the story. You're just telling a totally different story, which is however, like very concretely informed by, um, Uh you know, that story. Um, it's more than just making an allusion to it, embedding an illusion within it. It's a little deeper than that. But it is but it's also not exactly attempting to do it an adaptation of the original. It's yeah. having your own story, your own thing, being at least for a time informed by the original. And so you're still interacting with the original in a way which feels more like an adaptation than it does a reference. You know, or, or an illusion. Um but uh but yeah, but not the same as doing like so and again that's how so to to define the rearrangement category, which is what we're talking about today, and we haven't really done this because this hasn't been done with Tolkien. We've been focusing mostly on Tolkien stuff, and no one's done this with Tolkien yet. Um, a real rearrangement adaptation. Um but uh but that's one of the really fun things that I'm looking forward to talking about. Is again, as we've been doing, building a vocabulary. Right? How do we talk mm-hmm. about the relationship between films like the ones we're talking about today and the and and the original text? Right. Um,
1: well, and well, I think it's a great thing to look at for that reason because I, I don't think it's it's within the realm of impossibility that this would happen with Tolkien. Yeah, eventually, so, it you know yeah and and i think there's like the main difference right is that there's a core understanding of what the christmas carol story is like culture-wide you don't have to read dickens to know what the basics of a christmas carol are the whole world just kind of knows it so i feel like we do have a certain amount of that growing in, in the world that we could see something like this in the future
0: yeah yeah for sure um yeah definitely so okay so so noting that, so we're going to talk about each one. So we're, we're, we've got four adaptations on the table today. We were, we had suggested three and then we can do it. The populace insisted on a fourth. Um, we had, we had planned to talk about Scrooged, the the Bill Murray Scrooged film from the eighties, 1987.
1: I think that was. I was going to say 89. I can't remember. Oh Anyway,
0: late eighties, right? The late eighties Scrooged adaptation with Bill Murray. Um, the, uh, the, the very new, like just in the last few months, um, uh, adaptation mean? spirited, uh, with Will Ferrell and Ryan, blanking on his, Reynolds. Own his Reynolds, yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, the, uh, uh, Deadpool guy, right?
1: Oh, Corey. He's yeah. the Deadpool. Yes. He yeah. is the Deadpool guy. He's welcome to Wrexham. He's Green Lantern. Sorry, but that's, you know, also one of his, but yeah, he's, yeah. he's known for a whole lot of stuff.
0: Okay yeah i just recently watched Deadpool. So that, he was the one that i that, that's what i was connecting him to um yeah. and um and then so those oh and that, that was too. Oh yeah and then the uh, doctor who christmas carol special was one that i had which to-
1: i hadn't watched in years so that was pretty fun to revisit too yeah and, yeah and blackadder was and then- the, the wild card thrown in and I never watched that before ever. I never watched an episode of Blackadder, which my husband was really appalled by. Um, so it was it was very fun to watch that. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, that was that was that was really fun. So so we're 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 adding the Blackadder Christmas Carol adaptation as well, um, which is fun because it actually fills a kind of rearrangement role that nobody else did. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's unique in any, um, the, the Blackadder Christmas Carol is a unique adaptation among any of the Christmas Carol adaptations that I've seen. Um, unique. And not just
1: because of the, the, uh, Ghost of Christmas Future and the, the try has been whatever they called it. and Yeah. Unique yeah. in, in how they, they spun the story. They spun
0: the story. Yeah. The, their relationship with the original story is unique, uh, yeah. from any of the other relationships. Um, so, um, Yeah. Now, again, to just so to clarify, (coughs) excuse me, we are primarily differentiating these adaptations from the ones we talked about last week. The ones last week are retellings like they are they are trying to just do the Christmas carol. And it's not to say they're not making any changes. One might think that casting Muppets in the Christmas carol or casting you know, Mickey Mouse characters in the in the Christmas Carol is like a major, you know, rearrangement of the story. But I would argue not. Like those stories are still they're trying to transmit Dickens to us in it's some the same kind story. Of, yeah.
1: yeah. I was yeah. just gonna say we should we should review what we did last week in case people didn't see it. So last week was Muppets, Mickey, and nineteen fifty one a Christmas Carol. Plus we dabbled in a few other kind of close retellings, but those are the three that we covered last week.
0: I was fascinated, by the way, with the fact that it was the 1951 Scrooge film that the 87, that that the Bill Murray Scrooged movie was primarily reacting to.
1: And Um, again, this YouTube thing I fell down the rabbit hole of, the top 10 list, there were two or three of them that listed that as number one, because Muppets came up as number two on all of those, and I was like, what? It should be number one. And it was the 1951. 1951. I mean, if for some reason that stuck, I must've read it as a film student. Like it stuck in my head as that was a really exemplar film adaptation, but I, it didn't really like start to with me personally, but then seeing it on all these lists, I'm like, I guess it, I guess it was, it
0: was clearly the icon that was behind the, like I, one thing that one visual thing that really jumped out at me. Um, when in the Scrooged film, the Bill Murray character is being granted and sort of ironically accepting the Humanitarian of the Year award. The the award is the 1951 Scrooge with Tiny Tim on his shoulder.
1: Oh my God, I did not put like It was here. it was
0: an it was an overt visual reference to the 1951 film. Um I'm like that's what the statue was that was yeah. in that he that he leaves behind in in the taxi deliberately, right? Um but um uh, but yeah like it was it was it was overtly and there were and and there was at yeah. least one other time when it was on screen like the 1951 uh, film was on screen i think it was tiny tim again who was uh-huh. on screen but um anyway i i was i was like wow i guess we nailed it with the 1951 film <laughs> it's well, like I, that's clearly what's behind this
1: and i did re- end up like going uh, reading a bit more about that one too and it was like that was one of the first one that dug deeper into his past beyond what the text which is what we talked about yeah christmas, yeah ghost for christmas past you know got a lot more screen time um, but it was that kind of like tapping into the previous self that the directors thought would make people kind of engage with it more and question their own past and really think about how they could improve those. So like they're really making almost didactic and yeah. you know moral story, and that yes. was the first one that really did that. As I do think that's what's kind of followed after. So if that was kind of the pivotal one that made people stand up and look at the story, and then there was an explosion of more adaptations from 1951 onward. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, uh-huh. it's really interesting. So, so again, before we get into specific cases, I again, I, I want to, I want to I think about vocabulary and reviewing this because again, part of the reason I wanted to do this whole Christmas thing, right, is to help inform our vocabulary. I want to, I want to bring from this ways that we can talk about not only Tolkien adaptations in general and the Ring of Power in particular, but other adaptations as well. And one of the things that I find that is extremely nebulous, one of the places where I really want to help nail down how we talk about this is in identifying that question of faithfulness to the original, Like, Is it a faithful adaptation or is it not a faithful adaptation? Um, How are they responding to? How are they, you know, what are they doing to the text? And one of the things that I found myself struggling against frequently, have found myself still am struggling against in people's responses to the rings of power is when people want to go through and Maggie, you and I talked about this a long time ago, like you can't just go through and catalog changes, right? No. You can't go through without that kind of a checklist mentality and say, how are they in, in what de- in, in what and how many details are they deviating from the text?
1: But and, that yeah. is the number one thing that everybody does. Yes. As, soon as you Google a film and write the word adaptation, the top 10 responses you're ever going to find are who did it better book versus film or book versus film, a comparison. Like that's all you're gonna find because it's a very easy exercise to do comparison. And you'll find that I mean like if you've taken any lit class, you'll find that comparison is an easy process. It's not as intense as doing like a critical analysis. Yeah. So to take that next step and do the critical analysis requires a lot more effort. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to do here. Of Like, let's let's see what kind of tools we can bring in to get it beyond that conversation of comparison.
0: Exactly. And yeah, to bring it to uh, to literature analysis again for a second. When teaching lit classes and when reading lit essays, <laughs> you know, as we've both done many times, one of the things that is always noticeable, and I talk to my lit students about this a lot, is observations are easy conclusions are hard it's really easy to notice them and i'm not saying it's trivial sometimes you can notice stuff that nobody mm. noticed you can make great observations yeah. but making an observation is not it's it's not hard the hard yeah. thing is to push yourself beyond merely making observations and to do analysis to really think it, that through and draw conclusions from that data um, data I mean, it gathering itself years. is simple
1: it was years i had so what with a question mark written at the top of my papers Yes, Years. absolutely because it's like yeah I love observation but so what yeah <laughs> so and I mean and to be perfectly it.
0: frank I have read many and many a professional article of literary criticism which is full of observations and not full of conclusions not really mm-hmm. kind of thinking that through to the um uh to the to, to the answering the so what question um so it's 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 yeah. it's it's, it's and not again i find those interesting it's ones. not easy to do and
1: I And I'm really usually entertained by reading those observations because I, ooh, that is really interesting. You know, I have those moments. But, yeah, it it is kind of getting to that next step is the thing that's a bit more rare.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is what I find. uh, I am hoping that, in particular, this one, even more than last week, right? Last week gave us a kind of safer space to talk about Similarities and differences, and look at the ways in a retelling, in which, you know, certain freedoms are being made. It's you know they're pushing the story in different directions. Look, watching how that happens, and trying to figure out still how can we assess that? How can we assess similarities and differences? And I- I- at the end of the day, how can we answer the question of how faithful is it to the text? Like, what is the relationship between the retelling and the text? Um, with these, there is no attempt faithfulness traditionally no. like that's not what they're going for so here i feel like it is you, you, you sit somebody down with with any of these right um and nobody would be content i think with merely cataloging differences right i mean somebody it's,
1: would be. Well, somebody i would mean be. let's come on <laughs> Yeah, somebody would be
0: but it's <laughs> but the it's, it's,
1: it's the inadequacy of less, that
0: is so yeah, obvious Much less fruitful, I think. Yes, much less fruitful, Um, or 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 like the inadequacy of it is so much more obvious with these films. Like, if you're watching the Doctor Who Christmas special and you're like, but they deviated from. They didn't have fish. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. There are no fish in the original. There's no. There are no flying fish in the original you know that oh, yes yes okay i that, that i don't think was something they were trying to slip by people right um there was no time right travel so, you know actual time traveling yeah. though again like the way that that interacts is fascinating anyway it's just we're obviously we, we need to establish different a different set of criteria right what if it's not a, so it can't just be about the existence of change the existence of variations and yet there still can be should be a way in which how do we how can we compare? How can we talk about the relationship between each one of these and Dickens,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because I think we can do that, um, you know. And and but it's but it's interesting. It's um, and that's
1: it's, that's what's so exciting about these, though. Yeah. Like, I it, it depends on the adaptation. There are some that I want to be much closer because I am emotionally attached to it, and I'm very protective of it, and I want you to be careful. And that, that can sometimes happen within the same text. If you're taking something like A Christmas Carol, I absolutely love A Close Adaptation. I want to see it beautifully told because it's a lovely story. But I'm also really interested in how you're going to subvert that idea and how you're going to play with those themes. Because it's a tough line to walk, I think. If yes. you're going to take something like A Christmas Carol and include magic fish and time travel and frozen boxes and you know all these other things, you're like, What? it'd be so easy for that to go off the deep end and not work. So you really have to maintain this core that is indescribable and indefinable and could be quite subjective to a lot of different people. Yes. And yet they somehow managed to do it. So I, I think that's just so fun to look at and yeah. comparison's not the point. It's more like, Oh, I don't I mean it's annotation, but we, we do need better words for this. Yeah. So I,
0: one of the things that I think is this, I would call, one of my general premises about all adaptations, the word core that you were just using, right? There is a core of the original.
1: I yeah. use fine or through line sometimes, too. Yes,
0: there is something about it which, if you get... If you if you get that wrong, then you are... So, for instance, I actually thought... Well, okay. I know we're going to go and talk about each one. I For... There was a point in the middle of the Spirited movie, which I just watched last night, um, where I thought they were going to depart. They were going to leave Dickens behind. And that was because I thought they were calling into question the idea that somebody can change. Uh And had they followed through with that, Right, I mean, the, um, you know, Ryan Reynolds' character was opening, openly questioning that, right? Yeah. And they came this close. I mean, he says, near the end of the film, right? People can't really change. And, I, yeah. and, and as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, that's it. That's the core of the original, for, of the Dickens original. If you were to do a retelling of the Christmas Carol that does not believe that people can, cha- can really change... That's not an that then you're not being true to the text, like that's yeah. the core like that's like, it, it suddenly struck me as soon as it felt like they were gonna do that. I was like, okay, that that would be that's leaving a four, yeah. That would be leaving it behind, but then they immediately pivoted from it, and we got it. He was wrong, um, yeah. and like as I was opening my, because I was actually literally going to say it out loud, even though I was by myself at two o'clock in the morning, I was literally going to say it out loud. Like, wait a second, you can't. And as I was opening my mouth, Will Farrell immediately shot it down. So I was like, "Whew, okay." But it was a it was a fun experience because that yeah. that really all of a sudden I found I had not really process I, I don't know that I would have like last week I don't know I would have said that that the core of the Dickens original is like that What's people that? can change and change because, the
1: sometimes, because sometimes you need somebody to bring it to your attention I don't know if, I don't know if I'd be able to articulate that either but if somebody starts to mess with it you're like wait you know yes and what I really loved about that element too was that they made Will Ferrell start to question it this guy yes. who had lived and breathed it for yes. centuries yes so all of a sudden he was starting to question his own beliefs as well like
0: yeah, yeah. No, I thought there was a time when I thought it was going off the rails completely, yeah. and then it didn't. Um, which is should we should we start with spirited? yeah? Let, should we talk? Okay, let's. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and proceed through all four. But um, okay. I just I, I wanted to talk about that core thing because I, uh, to me yeah. at the end of the day, I think that's the only fair thing you can do with these kinds of rearrangements. And the thing, the big conclusion that I would weigh in on in advance is it's not only that there is a way for us to take a total rearrangement, compare it with the original and say, like, answer the question, the faithfulness question. Like, we can't answer that. It's an answerable question, that's the first premise. But the second premise, and the thing that I didn't even really fully expect It's only by trying to answer that question that I found out what the core of the original was, (laughs) if you see what I mean. Like, this is the thing that's so valuable about adaptations, and this is the thing more than anything else that has led me— has. I no longer have any fear of adaptations. I understand, I have sympathy for people who still fear adaptations. For, for all of the people who still feel on some level the original is going to be ruined by bad adaptations. Like, I, I sympathize with people who feel that way. I no longer feel that way myself at all. And this is why. Because even bad adaptations, watching adaptations helps me understand the original better. Exactly. Like It's yeah. like you don't even know what is there until it's gone, right? It's it's like, in fact, I actually think that watching bad adaptations, we should actually do an experiment with this, might help me understand better what the original core of the original is.
1: I mean there's there's so many lectures on this, but yeah, there's there's a, quite a few I've given on some of my favorites that were done poorly and obviously Susan Cooper's Dark is Rising is at the top of my list because that is my that is my film, that is my book, that is, you know, not my film, that is my book. So when that one came out and going into the deep depths of that one and if you have no concept of the text and you just watch the film, it probably could be entertaining and here's why. And you can outline the whole structure of because it follows the routine, because it follows the hero okay. archetypes, because it follows the monomyth and all those things. But as soon as the story starts, you are thrown up against stonewall after stonewall after stonewall of things that don't work to the core of the characters that you know so well. So they're just subverting everything and hitting it just on the wrong side of the line. So you have to kind of be thrown in the face those those moments that make you kind of jar. And sometimes those moments are really effective because you're like, ooh, interesting choice, but I can see it. Okay, I can go with this. And right. other times it jars and you go, oh, hell no, absolutely right. not. <laughs> right,
0: absolutely. So yeah,
1: I definitely think it clarifies the original text to you. And there's a big argument in adaptations. You even need to have an understanding of the core text to enjoy an adaptation. And, you know, subjective. Of course, you don't need to read the book in order to enjoy the film. But if you're going to study it, if you're going to do analysis on it, then everything about the adaptation goes back to the core text that doesn't mean it's better or worse it just means it's reflective or reductive of the text so you have to have an understanding of that element
0: yeah i mean it would be like saying can you enjoy the cover of a song by another band even if you've never heard the original before of course you can like of course you can right um but you can't really appreciate the cover of the song, fully appreciate it, without knowing the original as well? I mean, that's obviously just co- sort of a different question. Um, but, um, okay. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's go through some of our examples here. So we're going to start with Blackadder here. Um, and, of course, the genius of the Blackadder adaptation, the unique thing about the Blackadder adaptation is that they reversed the change, right? They they told a version of the Christmas Carol where the Scrooge character is a wonderful, loving, giving, exemplary uh, person, self-sacrificing person at the beginning, is visited by the Christmas spirits. Through his visitation by the Christmas spirits, learns that selfishness pays, and so uh, wakes <laughs> up on Christmas morning and decides that he's going to become a the selfish jerk bugger. for the rest of his life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it when uh, Robbie Coltrane comes in and is like, oh, you're a good guy. I'm just, howdy ho, see ya. And I, <laughs> oh, no, no, come in, let
0: me have you a cup of tea. And then it all just goes off the rails. It's great. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, it's, and again, as I said, as far as I, 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 that's unique. I've never seen a Christmas Carol adaptation. that Now again, but see, the, here's the thing. It's a wonderful illustration. You can't compare point by point, right? If you start comparing point by point, you're like, they're doing absolutely everything wrong, right?
1: No, but if you hit that center core that we have now just pivoted, it all makes sense. It all makes you know, sense. It's like everything else falls in line. We go to the Ghost of Christmas Past we see something that affects change in a person, it just goes the other direction.
0: It just goes the other So, yeah, so is it a 180-degree change? Yes, but it maintains the core of the original. I mm-hmm. mean, amusingly, the 180-degree change is where the comedy lies, right? That's why it's funny, because there's 180 degrees change. And that kind of thwarting of expectations, of course, is classically what comedy does. Um,
1: and Blackadder in particular. And Blackadder
0: in particular, yes. Um, but... Um, uh, but but in any case like it's a fascinating example of how despite on the one hand you could say it changes absolutely everything it does preserve the core idea right Which, in this really uh, in this really funny way um, yes in right uh, on the right here is uh uh, Blackadder, uh in bed with a with the Christmas ghost. Um, uh, as they're kind of hanging out and uh seeing occasional visions um yeah yeah i haven't um i haven't oh i i i i have not always loved black adder i i i uh, the beginning of black adder i find particularly uneven um uh, so I've never really been like a big Blackadder fan. I don't have a huge grounding in Blackadder. I've seen some, but not, not all
1: that much. It's not ever been sort of a passion of mine. Um, uh, Same. And it's, it's such an institution here. People have been appalled that I have not, I've, I've seen a lot of scenes, you know, YouTube, they're shared around and things like that because there's some really great, brilliant moments, but yeah, I've never really sat down and marathoned it, but yeah, the, I mean, what struck me first and foremost of this was just the like. Sarcastic British humor—it's just so spot on. It's, it's extremely like, British, yes. Tongue in cheek and ironic, and smart, yeah. and just funny. And and the cast too—you know, you've got Hugh Laurie in there, and um, uh, Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, yeah, yeah. Robbie Coltrane. Just—it's really, really clever.
0: Yes, yes. Um,
1: Noted. Second and third series are your favorites. It's all on BBC iPlayer, so I, I just might marathon it over the holiday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh yeah, here's uh Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie uh on the on the sides over here on the right. Um but um uh Anyway, yeah. So um the the, <laughs> the picture on the left is part of the vision of Christmas yet to come. Um where again he's seeing the uh um if he continues um He's shown what, what 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 will happen if he can if he changes, and what will happen if he continues. He's shown the two different versions. If he continues uh-huh. as a generous, giving, self-sacrificing person, um, so first he sees the one where it, what here's what will happen if you becomes, if if you if you become selfish, uh, because
1: yeah. he so isn't
0: right. He himself is in the normal position. Or, or he, I'm sorry, he himself is in the reverse position where he's starting off as, as a good and generous and kindly person. But the Ghost of Christmas F- of Future is basically running the same script. Like, here's what the future will look like if you're selfish and horrible, which he isn't, right? But he's showing him what he would look like and that's what the Ghost of Christmas Future does, right? And so it shows him he's there on the right. He's this, like, dictatorial duke in this quasi-futuristic... Uh, world uh, with his personal slave Baldric there. But um, the clearly, high speedos. standing
1: and powerful, and adorned, yeah. and all of that.
0: Exactly, um, and so this very... is supposed to be like the scary vision of him in the future that you know uh, prevents him from going in that direction. And then he requests the spirit. He's like, "Can you show me the version?" if i continue being nice and what we get is exactly the same scene except
1: i love the i love that the spirit is like no 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 we can't do that and the mist starts rolling in without his control he's like oh crap you know we're going anyway (laughs) yeah his
0: his his power gets like subverted there um and then of course what we see is black adder is the one in this the slave in the weather speedo and 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 baldrick is the is the lord and he's like I want the other (laughs) way. So
1: if I'm good, I become a slave.
0: Right, right. Um, Yeah, exactly. So and then this is what inspires him then to have his change of heart, uh, his ironic change of heart, and become a selfish jerk. uh, Starting and you
1: think that and you think that's where the story would end, but then of course there's another classic twist at the very end with Victoria and Albert coming to the door. And saying, We've heard that you're the kindest man in all the land, we're gonna give you fifty thousand pounds, but he's acting like a jerk, so he doesn't get it.
0: So he doesn't get it, right. And he throws yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um yes, yeah, yeah, the sort of the final twist where his his newfound selfishness in the short term does not pay off. Um mm-hmm. you know, he was gonna be named a baron, he was gonna be uh, he was gonna be given this this wealth. Um but uh, but he doesn't get it because he's decided to become a selfish jerk. Um, anyway, so it's 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 really fun. It by that twist at the end, it doesn't actually twist the moral right. Like it doesn't actually like the, the moral of the story. Like the, if if there is a moral of the story, like it does not provide the like so actually be selfish. That's better. Um, that moral that apparent moral is undermined at the end by what happens with Queen Victoria.
1: Good shout. We can't take that away as a moral because it's like, no, he still made the wrong choice.
0: He still made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he made yeah. the wrong choice. But, um, uh, but anyway, he it's, it's, uh, but it's still, you know, this sort of comedic play on the whole changing your path based on visions of, uh, of, of, of the present and the future. Um, hmm. So, uh, but yeah, and, and this and again, it was it was another thing that was kind of uh, helping me to see and to feel where the core of the Dickens story lay, right? Um,
1: and how clearly it was seen. That, like like I was saying before, you know, if you have a general understanding of the Dickens story, the amount that you're able to stray from it, I think, is so much stronger because yes. the core. Again, we got to work on these lines. The through line is so strong that you have the ability to play and mess around with it. Yes. You're, you're allowed to take people in different directions.
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, Spirited. This was such a fascinating I, film. Oh, my yeah, goodness.
1: Yeah. I... I think I've watched it three times now. Cause the first time was just like an onslaught of detail and you're like, Whoa. And I absolutely, and this is me geeking out. I absolutely love the music and dance. And I got to the very, very end of it before I went through all the credits. And it's the same people that did the choreography and music for greatest showman. Loved that. Yeah. yeah. And dear Evan Hansen, those guys. So it was just like, Oh, they got, they got some good talent in here. Yeah. And did not it, spare any budget.
0: No. And the, the, the way they walk the line between parody, like it's it's almost self-parody, but never totally self-parody. Yeah. Especially the singing and dancing, right? Yeah. I mean, the way that attention is drawn to like, oh, we're doing another musical number now. Oh,
1: it's or, this, it's this, yeah, is that Right, kind of or the religion? like,
0: or the the wonderful conversation where Ryan Reynolds' character is like, so tap dance is new for me, but it's a very expressive medium. I kind of enjoyed it, right?
1: And that's that's very Ryan Reynolds himself, too. So that's a very, like, you know, we were talking about Mickey playing Bob Cratchit and uh, Kermit playing Bob Cratchit. Like, it felt very like Ryan Reynolds playing this character. It it was very, like, in the moment. So it really walked that line. And similarly, how they referenced The Christmas Carol itself, you know? So, like, when the um, Marley forget what his name was in this, but when he comes in to do his song and dance... No, he, Ryan he's, Reynolds actually, is like, oh,
0: he's actually Jacob Marley, he's actually, it, I think. Yeah. Okay.
1: And when he's starting to do his song and dance and Ryan Reynolds is like, wait, you mean like a Christmas carol? Like, you're, you're haunting me? Like, <laughs> you mean that story? Yeah. 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 So that the way that they kind of reference it, like, wait, that's a real story that exists in this world. Everybody knows a Christmas carol the same way we know a Christmas carol. Yes. Uh, yeah. All of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then going yeah. back and be, I mean, it, an it was an extremely
0: self-aware... Almost to the point of parody, but again, never quite stepping over the line. Like, I kept expecting, um, especially in the dance, when people started dancing, I expected that to be made fun of more,
1: but it no, never it quite does.
0: Yeah. yeah, it works. Even, I mean, it's, um, I, yeah, it was, I, I, that was, it was, that was a fascinating, um, as I say, I, it, it was, a, it was a really fascinating line. Um, but, um,
1: well, there's a real strength in suspending belief with adaptations too. You know, like we were talking about with the Muppets, there's allowed to be ice skating penguins because we have allowed fruit to sing to us in scene right. one. Right. You know, so like once you kind of set foot into this world and the first few bits make sense, it's incremental steps to keep suspending that belief. And I think they just handled that really well. So within 10 minutes, you're like, I'm in. Okay, right. let's go. Right.
0: Yeah, no, it was, uh, uh, that was, and of course it's, of all of the films we're talking about today, by far the most complicated. Um, By by far the most, like, meta and complex as far as its levels of... um, with its relationship to the original, I mean. Um, I was, like... It was complicated enough when we were just sort of taking... um, Even the way in which it kind of takes the... Visited by three Christmas spirits in order to bring reform- reformation into the life of a, of a mean person um, and institutionalizes that as the Christmas Carol adaptation mm-hmm. has itself become institutionalized, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, we're already operating on a pretty meta level here. And then, like, we actually go back and see Ebenezer Scrooge himself, you know? And I'm like, okay, and now it's like this whole other meta layer, you know, on top of that. Um, I would uh,
1: love to have seen the script development process of this, of just how they explained it, how they pitched it, how they worked their way through it. But I do, I mean, like, I mean, we're talking about analysis. There were definitely some moments, just as a fan watching it, that I was like, I don't know, this part's a bit slow. That part, you don't drag a little bit. That part's really offensive. There's like, you know, (laughs) some elements that you're kind of like, eh.
0: Yeah.
1: But in terms of just story structure and adaptation and what they took and what they utilized and how they subverted it, yeah, there were like... I needed some uh, mind maps to, to kind of sketch it
0: all out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it was it was it was it was very complicated. So that makes it hard to talk about in like ten minutes. Um, but um, but as as I as I already mentioned, it was watching this one that really because of the way it looked like it was going to question that core, that fundamental premise that people can change, that people, if like, I mean, yeah, if you are brought to see yourself and appreciate the consequences of your actions and to see both yourself from outside and the consequences of your action from outside and to, you know, sort of look, getting that larger view of your life, um, that seeing that can enable you to make a a differently-informed decision in order to bring about change in your life, that, I, that seems to me pretty clearly now what the core of the Christmas Carol story is. Um, and it was the way in which this film flirted with deviating from that. Um, uh, even the very—and and the, their flirtation with the concept, of course, is itself— a front and center plot point in the story in that it um the the idea of the unredeemable right that there are some yeah. people who are classified as unredeemable um and there's no point even bothering trying with those right. people because they and can't how, change
1: and how anti base of christmas carol that makes us feel because if you can change ebenezer anybody is savable, surely so yeah that yeah. that whole discussion
0: yeah. Um, and so again, like that's, that's an, exp- it becomes an explicit plot point. And re- so, I mean, again, there are ways in which I felt that this adaptation um, engages more directly with the core in its way. So I, I, I'm not so, like, so, you know, would I say at the end of the day that I thought that this film was like the most faithful adaptation of Christmas Carol ever? Like, no, that's a silly, that would be a silly statement to make. But again, uh, if we're... Why if we're, are we are thinking about identifying that core, like what is it that makes the original story the original story? If you if you stripped away everything else, what thing do you have to keep in order for it still to be that story? Um, this is the this is the adaptation of all of them that I have ever seen. This is the one that engages with that core most directly, and therefore that's what that's what I found so fascinating about it. That's why I really that's why I really liked it. I mean, there are also other things that I enjoyed about it, but. Um, I was, I was primarily thinking about it in like in these, uh, you know, how how it was functioning as an adaptation. I mean, seeing it in the context that I did, right, just to prep for this discussion, um, right. I was really focused on, I was focused on its relationship with the original rather than just, you know, watching it as a movie. Yeah, um, which I mean. This is like a conversation you and I have had before about the rings of power when people say, do you like it or not? And I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever really asked myself that question. That's not really a relevant question to me. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Like, that's, um, uh, I feel
1: like I can still walk that line where like, I still watch it with my brain shut off to enjoy it while I'm still picking up on stuff to kind of consider and discuss with you later. So I, I feel like I do make more opinion statements that have gotten me into trouble a few times. However, (laughs) (laughs) the analysis is the point of what we're doing this for. So the question of, do I like it? I'll always tell you if I liked it or not. And probably why I liked it or not, but that's not really the point, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And I like, I, I really don't ask that question very much. Like I I still do,
1: but I, yeah, I don't know. To me, that's still quite integral to telling a good story enjoyment, but, that does not define it. That defines it for me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. every single person is going to be different. So yeah, the idea of somebody liking it or not is still valid for that specific person, but it doesn't need to turn into a debate. It can yeah. just be, I like this thing and here are my reasons. But it's yeah. nice when we're doing analysis and we don't have to pull that into it because it doesn't ever have to be a debate. We're just discussing things that are interesting to talk about. What I loved about that core element subverted and spirited though, was how... Will Ferrell's Ebenezer Scrooge started to question that as well. Yes. Because you're taking that core of everybody can change, but then you're also suggesting can they or can they change again and become bad again. So when they have that whole song about good afternoon, yes. which in the Victorian era was a swear word basically. <laughs> that's, that's the premise, the premise of the yeah. song. Yeah, of just making him be a bad guy saying good afternoon, like good afternoon, um, making him kind of walk that line again you're questioning, is he actually bad at his core or is he turning a corner and embracing that again? But that's also really powerful because I feel like that speaks to a more modern mindset of you can change, but you have to keep working at it yes. or you can change, but you can always change more, you know? Yes. Yes. So I quite like that kind of challenge. Yeah. It's not good or bad. There's a gray and there's a work and yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. No, I mean the, the way that they, in that sense, Worked into like the 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 like the future adventures of of Scrooge. How does he continue to change? The way that that got layered on top of things as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was it was the Good Afternoon song was the first place I began to feel un- actively uneasy. Okay. About its relationship to the original, because yeah. I was like, if. I mean, because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I could totally imagine a modern filmmaker thinking that it would be both hilarious and delightful to have the ghost of Christmas present trying to bring about positive change in a bad person and instead have the bad person convert the ghost of Christmas present into being a bad person and just like reverse it in that way. And I was like, I could totally imagine a modern film that that, that that's the premise, like in the end, uh, like everything, everybody's awful. And that's like and, and I'm like, but I, I, I'm hoping this is, does not happen because that I think would be would be awful and would have been um, that would have felt like an abuse of the of 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 the original.
1: And there's there's the question of casting when it comes to some of these adaptations, too, that. In most adaptations, it's often a fairly no-name task, right? They're getting people to just play the part. Maybe there's one or two big names for the leads, but the rest are just kind of, they're relying a little bit more on people's understanding of the text. They don't need to have a giant list of star-studded names. right? When you're doing something like this, and you've got Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, both of whom have such a strong off-screen presence, they are bringing that personality into the character. So... That is like another reason to be a little bit nervous sometimes when you have something like Dickens you want to take care of and Will Ferrell has it. You're like, oh God, that's like Jim Carrey having it. Like Jim Carrey having it.
0: I was just going to raise him as an example.
1: Who also played the same role, but in a very different way, you know? So it is just kind of that like, oh God, I don't know where this is going to go. And they took that, I mean, I felt like they took that Will Ferrell energy and the Ryan Reynolds self reflective commentary and stuff and somehow kept it in check because there weren't unscripted off the rails moments like there are in old school and and you remember all of them wedding crashers and things like that where he does just go off it didn't feel like they had that it did all feel scripted and controlled but still with their own voices so Mm -hmm. that's a real strength of adaptation too to take these actors that do have these personalities and bring a script into their own persona that matches the core text quite the balancing act
0: yeah 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 definitely um <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, but, um, but yeah, in the end, as I say, more than any other thing that I watched, this really helped me to identify that core. Cause in the end, I think they, I think they stuck. in the end, I would call it a successful adaptation, um, of the original, despite the, I mean, I'm not sure that even like, um, you know, adding flying fish and cryogenics are larger changes to the story than they made <laughs> in this. Yes, yeah. I mean, even the fundamental premise that the ghosts, the Christmas ghosts, are the ghosts of dead people, like mm-hmm. that premise all by itself is a massive, massive change from mm-hmm. the original. Um, a change on this, like, Larger than the scale of almost any other adaptation change I can think of, um, from any other adaptation, uh, like that's huge. It's absolutely enormous. Um,
1: but it didn't strike me as a big deal.
0: No, I it, it, I thought that I thought that I thought that it worked in some inter- in mm-hmm. in in interesting ways. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. to take you to the point of fear by potentially changing the core. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah i can see how that would affect you um yeah i'm like i feel like i could talk a lot more about spirited but i also get the feeling that not a lot of people have seen it but i think that's the the kind of main takeaway i would take from it it's a really clever modern retelling that is like self-reflective and inspired by and stays true to the original text
0: yeah yeah um yeah (laughs) the uh the image you put in the top left-hand corner, I loved that moment where uh, where uh Will Ferrell, who's the ghost of Christmas present, is instructed to go back to the script, like play it by yep. the script. And the next yep. scene you see is him sitting on top of a big mound of food saying, enter and know me better, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> word know? for word from Dickens. Directly <laughs> word for word. They even had like, some of the same kinds of food, you know, in mm-hmm. the uh, in the. And he's
1: got the torch and he's got the wreath. The torch and, and the wreath, down. yeah. Everything else, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: exactly. It's it's um. He's the only one, by the way. I mean, like, he's the only ghost of Christmas Present carrying a torch that I've seen in any of the seven films that were the seven treatments that we've watched. He doesn't oh, have yeah, a torch. Seven.
1: I've definitely
0: he seen... gets in the Mickey one. He does the thing with the um, streetlight where he turns it into a oh, flashlight.
1: Yeah. That's really
0: cute, mm-hmm. right? That's cute. But that like he's not just supposed to use a light source like yeah. his torch is essential to his being like it's his power it's what he does so that Church they that exactly. they showed him with a torch there um again it was it was uh, it was very 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 close in that moment um but you know kind of making um so yeah the the veering close to the uh to the to the original script uh-huh. you know, to the original story was, a, was a, a a really fun kind of touch point in the middle of um, of this story. Mm-hmm.
1: I also really enjoyed the things that they did at the end, so spoiler, sorry, but I I also really love the things they did at the end where retirement for one of these ghosts was to go back to earth and live a life. So the fact that when he retired, he got to go be immortal and actually try his hand at some of these things he observed for so long, that was really lovely. And that he could still interact with the spirit world and participate. And that they had taken that and diversified it. So instead of just being this Christian holiday, they're doing Hanukkah, Ramadan. You know, the Ghost <laughs> yes. of
0: Christmas. I love that. <laughs> the, the, the Ghost of Ramadan past. I like. Yeah,
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, Honey.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, um. Okay, let's keep we'll moving forward. On. Then we can come back and generalize if we want to. So uh, Scrooged, the 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 '80s version, the Bill Murray version. Of all of the of these rearrangement adaptations that we watched, um, this was the closest to a retelling. It's not a retelling oh. adaptation. They're not trying to do Dickens. It's still a rearrangement, but it was the most gentle rearrangement in the sense that they're keeping the overall shape of the story. They've tra- it's, this was almost like not quite like it was more than this. This was almost like the kind of rearrangement that does a Shakespeare play in which you do all the lines from Shakespeare, but the people are in like World War Two costume kind of, right. kind of thing. Right. Have Where, guns
1: instead of swords. And, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's more of a, like, like when you're doing that kind of a, of a thing, it's more of a juxtaposition of two ideas, right? You're keeping the original story, but you're juxtaposing it with another set, uh, another context, another set of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't quite that. This was more than that. Like they, 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 they changed more of the story than that. Um but it was it was it was closer to that, I felt, than um But you
1: could see the bones of that. Yeah. It? I feel yeah. Like, I feel like you could see the bones really clearly of this, that it still had the same three arc structure, it had the same list of characters. They just did different things with them than happens in a, a complete retelling. Yeah. And it was one of the things that I was
0: I was um Curious about the film was less self-aware than I expected about mm-hmm. about its status as a Dickens adaptation. So, like on the one hand, the whole initial premise, well, not initial, the whole framing premise of the story is that the Bill Murray character is a TV executive who is producing a Dickens Christmas a special.
1: Christmas Carol right? on TV. Yeah.
0: yeah, so he's like doing a Dickens adaptation. Um, and so when a TV executive who's in the middle of producing a Dickens adaptation is visited by the ghost of his former employer who tells him he's going to be visited by Three Spirits, you'd think he would make that Compare connection that a little, a bit, little more, bit more, but he almost never yeah. did. Like he He had that experience almost as if he had never even heard of The Christmas Carol before now, which I think might itself be a kind of commentary, right? to show the depth of his ignorance. Like, he he's he's doing a Dickens thing, but he has no idea what the story is really. He is so ignorant of the uh, the true nature and power of the Christmas Carol story that he's yeah. producing an adaptation of that he doesn't even recognize it when it starts happening right to him.
1: Pocket, yeah.
0: So th- that, that may be part of the the, the kind of the thing that they're doing. But again, I, I found it not quite jarring, but almost puzzling how yeah. little, like, in spirited... They're totally. Everyone's totally aware, right? That like, mm-hmm. okay, like the Dickens thing is happening to me right now, right? Whereas yeah. his lack of level of of self awareness of that was was really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I mean, the juxtaposition I think is really interesting. That they're they're doing this actual Dickensian thing in his studio, and he's subverting it left, right, and center by having like can-can dancers and stapling, I forget, stapling wings Antlers the mice, to the antlers, mice, yeah. Antlers to the mice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, doing all the things that are very much not um in A Christmas Carol, but in his own life experiencing it, he doesn't have any of that register. And in fact, thinks it's just costumes and props over and over and over and over again.
0: Right, right. Yeah,
1: it's kind of but, missing that next level of...
0: Yeah. By the way, the explicit references to, Scro- to the Bill Murray Scrooged in Spirited also made me feel totally justified as like the Scrooge is making explicit references back to the 1951 and Spirited is making references. i like making references to Scrooge. We kind of nailed our selection of <laughs> films yep. to discuss for these. And we, <laughs> for we didn't these know that until we
1: got into it, but I guess these are the ones that influence everybody. So here we are. Yeah. I mean, this is one I grew up with. We used to watch this every Christmas and I still watch it every Christmas and I don't think it's aged as well as others yes. could have. I don't think it has the sophistication and the levels and layers and stuff that I think we see in other adaptations, but it's real interesting and it does take some interesting turns that I think others probably have picked up on that you can subvert a character and make the ghost of Christmas past full of bubbles and carry a toaster and, you know, or she was present, um, she was present yeah. <laughs> Carol Kane, um, yeah. you know, that you can play around with that kind of idea. So maybe that's that's more of the strength of this one that it inspired others that followed. But it was also Bill Murray being hysterical, so the comedic value was was quite staying as well. But as a adaptation, it didn't really do much to mess with things.
0: Yeah, no, it didn't. It was in a lot of ways, it plays the original straight, in a, mm-hmm. in in, in it, more than any of these other adaptations did. I felt
1: that um, guy has a change of heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say the the Doctor Who one comes close in following that pattern. But 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 still even not even there, there's there's um, uh, some fundamental differences that this one doesn't have. Um, By the way, just a side note, the physical comedy with Carol Kane completely like. I was I I had forgotten about that. It was one of the elements of this film that I had had no memory of. I was like, was this always I in like, this film?
1: I like have to stifle my laughter because me and my siblings used to reenact that scene all the time. Like, <laughs> ooh, what is this? And then smash each other with a pillow and pretend it was a toaster. Yeah, great. And yeah, anytime time somebody blew bubbles, like it just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's an obvious uh, sort of. Comedic contrast between her, who's literally dressed as a fairy with wings and bubbles and, and everything, as we see her in this picture, and who is constantly physically beating on him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, there's 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 a comedic contrast between her appearance and also she's this very small person as well.
1: Tiny blonde, Glinda yes. the Good looking, squeaky you know. voice. Yeah. 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 Looks like she she should be the bringer of joy, and then she's abusive and very physical. But yeah, I mean, that's an easy comedic ploy, isn't it? Just juxtapose or
0: not juxtapose, contrast yeah. what you think. Yeah, and it just kept happening. <laughs>
1: it just <laughs> kept happening.
0: And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, by actually, the way, that shot on the bottom right is when the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come of course is, is showing up. Um, yeah. And uh, th- that's a really fun uh, example of how you see in the background Right. The uh, the 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 monitor shot of the live show that's being filmed downstairs of the adaptation of Dickens. And then the ghost of Christmas yet to come is literally appearing on screen, overlapping, you know, the the fact that you're seeing the nine different versions of the screen and then he appears across all nine. Right. Showing that this is a. But anyway, so that, that 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 still image is a really a really cool way of sort of capturing how their treatment of the Dickens story is kind of being juxtaposed over the, um, the in, in world adaptation that's happening there it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: uh, yeah. So, um, one interesting departure, the, the, de- the departure from the original that I felt most. And again, this is interesting because I would argue that although this was a major departure and it was a major departure, so major that it made the story like the story of the Scrooge character, it made his story a fundamentally different story than Scrooge's. Like his trajectory is fundamentally different. And yet I didn't feel it. It didn't hit the core. It was fundamental but it didn't hit the core. And that is like Scrooge in the original. The Ghost of Christmas Past brings him back and shows him his former relationship that he screwed up, right? His romantic relationship that he screwed up. But he recovers it. Um he ends up personally happily ever after like the 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 romantic relationship that he screwed up and walked away from in his earlier life is not gone forever. Uh That detail, again, it strikes me as a, that's a massive change. It's a fundamental change because Scrooge, Scrooge even talks about this. Like he has lost, there is happiness. It's been permanent. He can't just undo. He can't just make everything bad that he did unhappen. Right. Um, There are consequences and the primary consequence that there are some things that are still redeemable, like he can still change. And the future trajectory of the Cratchit family can be altered positively. Right. Because that's still near the beginning, like he's still in the middle of influencing that his relationship with his nephew can be recovered, mostly because his nephew is good. And forgiving Uh right. If his nephew were a jerk, were resentful, he might have already trashed that relationship and that might not be able to be recovered anyway. That is recoverable because of Fred, because of who Fred is, right? But his relationship, his Uh. the woman he should have married, she's gone and she's never coming back. And he's never gonna have that. And he knows he's never gonna have that. And so part of the, the process that Ebenezer Scrooge goes through is both mourning like acknowledging and mourning, seeing the consequences, but also like reconciling himself to that. Like he can't, um, and there's a sense in which his change is informed by that. Like he knows he can't have the kind of happiness that he might have had. But he can have a different... A new. There is a new kind of happiness that still is available to him. And also, more importantly, he cannot think about his own happiness. He can think about the happiness of others. It can become truly, genuinely selfish. Whereas in Scrooge, yeah, there is still the a difference. core of selfishness yeah. to the resolution at the end.
1: Because that's the big difference. It's everything that makes him change is an outward change to others, not about himself. So yes. the fact that Scrooge gets this... I mean, again, I don't think... I don't think Scrooge is as sophisticated as as we would like it to be, but I I imagine that's just a Hollywood conversation of we need to have a love interest. We want to have this element be a happy ending. And it is really satisfying in that respect, you know, love of his life. You can see that they had something in their core. Those, those scenes from the past were so comfortable and casual. It looks like a really strong, good relationship, but like you said, so gone, that's not accessible anymore. Yeah. But it seemed almost
0: it seemed almost cheap to have him have left her 15 years ago. And then he meets her again and she's like, oh, yeah, I haven't found anybody. I'm I'm just sitting around waiting for you, basically, for 15 years. I was like, really? Come on. That's that's like that's like uh, uh, really lower in the stakes for Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Anyway, so I. I, I, as I say, that felt like a fundamental change. Like, that was a huge, huge deal. And yet, again, as I say, it wasn't the core.
1: No, and it didn't really affect anything else because it wasn't the core. It's yeah. like, it makes it feel cheap. It, might it makes it a it. different so story. I would say, so I just, like,
0: for that reason, I would say that this, th- that that by itself makes this, to me, a lesser story. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, when I compare and contrast those two trajectories, I say, you know, th- this is less powerful for that reason, because it, it, it indulges in the idea that you can just snap your fingers and not only change how you are from now on, but you can snap your fingers and but change the past, like undo the bad mistakes that you made 15 years ago to people. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, and that begins to become a kind of fantasy, which I think is that's not the kind of fantasy that the Christmas Carol does. So. Again, that's a critique that I would make, which to me makes this story an inferior story to the original and to some other adaptations. But again, to me, like, do I think, does that make me say they ruined it or like they didn't get Dickens? They didn't no, get the no, just, Because to it's me, it's not the than-
1: core. Yeah, and it just means that it's not as well-developed of a film because they have this woman character who should be a leading lady, but she's nothing because they gave her nothing to work with. She's just, okay, I'll forgive you. Like, that's not how a human would react, so therefore that's a poorly written woman. Yes. You know, like, you need to give her some autonomy there, some some oomph there, and we don't get that because they just want their happy ending. Okay, yeah. fine, Hollywood, have your happy ending. It's so like, yeah, it didn't really jar me. I, it's fine, great, I'm glad you're happy and have this this lady that loves you at the end because you didn't mess with the core. If you mess with the core, that's where it starts to jar.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I am. Um, uh, oh, and by the way, I was like halfway through the film before I finally realized where I knew her from, uh, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was. Th- this always happens to me. I'm really good at recognizing faces, but I can't always place it. So, mm-hmm. Like half the movies I watch, I spend at least the first half of the film trying I to be like, where, where, like, trying to picture her face in other contexts and figure it out. And I finally figured it out. That's one of my favorite games to play. Um, looking it up on IMDb is cheating when it just cheating. bothers me so much and I can't figure it out. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, that was my Scrooge experience. Okay, we're running out of time. Oh, and um, by the I way, but I figured her out you, much though. quicker. Uh, his, but, his assistant was the female uh the female villain lead from Luke Cage. Um she she's been in a bunch of Marvel stuff. She was I also the,
1: not She was well also done. the woman who is in
0: Iron Man briefly as the yeah. m- as the like mother of the kid who dies um yes in Iron Man that's and but she is then more prominently gets At reinserted the in the Marvel universe in the Luke Cage context. Huh.
1: Um well played.
0: Yeah. Her, her I recognize right away, um even though she's like significantly younger in this film than she was in there, but Quite um different. uh but anyway, yeah, yeah, no, this is the um uh this is as I say, this is like my favorite game my wife is terrible with faces, so she can never help me um but uh but i i i always i always like oh this.
1: it's it's like a competitive sport in my house where one's like what's he from, you know, don't give me give me the first letter, just give me the first letter,
0: <laughs> right. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Right, anyway, let's move on. To Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Okay. So, um, I loved the way Doctor Who was in my mind the second most complex. Spirit was the most complex as far as like intertextual and kind of meta uh, analysis of the story. Um, in that, it was fifty percent. Of the main actors were self consciously recreating Dickens, right? Yes. The Scrooge character did not know Dickens. And so he was unaware of what was being done to him. But of course, the doctor, who was playing all the ghosts, uh, essentially, was very overtly doing Dickens to him, right?
1: And yet. It, and the point. Where right. he screams three times in a row, "A Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol" <laughs> over the mic. We get it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very um, self-referencing.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. So, um, but of course, he's not just doing Dickens in the sense of like, as if he were performing some kind of adaptation. Like he's he is doing the job. It's like it's like the doctor's character within the show. Is it is himself identifying the core of the Dickens story, and attempting to apply that core within this new context, Um, and in that context, of course, like having the the placement of the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future within an explicitly time travel based context of Doctor Who is itself a really fascinating like to me that's like worth the price of admission right there um that we also get you know fun alien planet stuff and flying fish and all that sort of thing is um and you know the flying fish and the cryogenics and 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 all the other things which were kind of the alien world element of uh of this of this you know uh rearrangement of the story those were all fun and i i i liked all of those things but to me like the money proposition (laughs) of this rearrangement is what if the role of the ghost of Christmas past present and yet to come is played by a time traveler who can actually transport the Scrooge character himself in time in different ways, rather than, I mean, it's um, one of the things that I felt was being, one of the elements of the Dickens story that I felt was being sort of, like if I were being all lit critty, I would say was interrogating, but uh, was really was really kind of pushing on, right? Um, the element that they were leaning into or questioning was the boundaries, one of the rules, and this was of course a rule that was being that was being invoked and played with pretty significantly and spirited as well. But one of the rules of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come is the fact that they can't, you can't interact, right? That you can see them, they can't see you, you can't interact with them. And so there's uh, that, the, sp- oh, wow. the purely spectator role, right? Um, is one of the givens established by the Dickens story and which almost every adaptation maintains.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and therefore, like the story is all about what happens if you can just see this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about that spectator role, which, by the way, is part of what makes the casting of Statler and Waldorf so brilliant as Marley because they're the spectators, they're the professional they're, spectators. They're the visuals. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah. They're the critics.
0: Exactly. And, and, okay, okay. Um, so with the doctor, he's actually transporting people and they can interact, right? There's no vision.
1: And have a whole relationship
0: and have a whole experience. Right. Oh, wait, except I'm leaving out a part, right? Um, the Marvelous, this was so Doctor Who, right? Um, he finds a home video that yeah. the Ebenezer Scrooge character, uh, Kazran, makes when he was a kid. Um, and so the Doctor finds this video and projects it up on the wall. Uh, this video recording of from his childhood. And then the doctor <laughs> travels back in time and enters into the video. Goes into it. Goes into the video. So he like pops his head in the window, and some of the times he's talking to the child Kazran that he's uh, that he's interacting with, and sometimes he's talking through the screen to the elderly Kazran who's watching. So there, of course, the initial pre- the, the initial premise it, it gets it gets loaded in that way, right? Where the elder Kazran can see the vision unfolding before him, but he can't interact with it. Though he does interact with it, right? Like yeah. the doctor and the young Kazran are trying to get into the vault, but the young Kazran doesn't know the, the code to the vault. The yeah. And the it. older Kazran is yelling out the code, <laughs> um, which of course none of them inside trying the video can them. hear. Yeah. Until he pops back into the future and overhears <laughs> him shouting <laughs> the code right. and goes back in and gives him the code, right? So th- that's one of the, the one of the first examples where we see him playing with this idea that you can't interact between the two. But, of course, then the final culmination of this, of, like, the breaking of that boundary comes with the Ghost of Christmas future, at right? The Ghost of Christmas yet to come instead of showing Kazran his death. Um, and, of course, Kazran is, he's expecting that, right? He's expecting that that's where the Doctor's going to go to the yeah. point where he says... Uh, he says, you're probably going to show me how I die alone. I know I'm going to die alone. Everybody dies alone. Right? Um, and instead, for the ghost of Christmas yet to come, what um, what the doctor does is he takes the child, Kazran, that he went back, and he brings him forward. Um, yeah. So he becomes the ghost of Christmas yet to come to the child, by introducing the child to the elderly, <laughs> Scrooge-like Kazran. And both... Saying to the young Kazran, "Is this what you want to grow up to be?" And saying to the elderly Kazran, "Are you like, you know, seeing your younger, like introducing you to your younger self? Is this who you want to be to your younger self?" And even the way that, you know, he almost smacks himself like his father used to used mm-hmm. to hit him, um, and that's of course his his sort of turning point there. It's really
1: again complex, rich, and point. beautiful. Uh-huh. also opens up that the story's not ending like that's in every other story we see a grave we see a dead body yes we don't have that we still have life to live after this so the fact that it's an unknown was really cool too
0: yeah and then especially of course we don't get um a grave but we do get a casket and that's Hmm. of course um the woman's casket i'm I'm, I'm blanking on her name the what was her name
1: I'm like the opera singer. I Somebody remember. help me remember
0: the, the woman's name. I'm totally blanking on it. Um, um, but uh, Abigail, Abigail, thank you. Yeah, um, Abigail is in a cryogenic freeze. And that, as you can see, at the, she's the one there on the bottom right-hand side, um, which is, it, it's a casket, right? And so there is this row, it's the vault with all of the caskets is very much like a graveyard. It is the... Yeah. The, the equivalent of the, you know, the Dickensian standard. Like, there has to be a graveyard scene. Like, you have to do a graveyard scene. And that vault with all the cryogenic caskets is the equivalent of the graveyard scene. But, of course, it's not his casket. It's her casket. And they're
1: still, and they're still alive. That's yeah, not yeah. The, the
0: popping in and out of the casket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's another boundary that gets transgressed, that gets altered. Um, again, that's just as the you-can't-interact with the past thing, you know, that's one of the parameters of the story that this, this retelling plays with. Um, The other parameter is that the graveyard, it's always the end. Right. Uh Um, And of course the big pressing question, the question that Ebenezer Scrooge in the book is left with in which almost every adaptation um, recites or like, you know, invokes in some way is the like, Are these the shadows of things that must be, or things that only might be? Like, can the future be averted? Like, is always the question that we come back to. Um, And so that question of like the grave—it's that's the end. That's the you know just the pointing spirit, right? Um, Can can change, but you know, can we get Tiny Tim out of the grave? Right? Is you know out of the grave that he saw him in, and of course here that boundary becomes a highly malleable a highly permeable boundary um and she's popping in and out and yet it's not just ignoring that there is of course the whole premise of the story is there is a permanence of death that they are facing an eventual permanence of death that they are facing
1: i think that's what works so well with this one that it just seems so off the rails ridiculous until you really look at it and the rules that they have set themselves and the boundaries that they have set themselves Are really strong like it 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 works you know like oh i'll follow that rule she has seven ticks left on her basket and she loves christmas eve we know that we're gonna have seven experiences or however many i think it was seven um however many we we get with her to build that life and the fact that we can time travel within this own person's timeline and he was even saying but i don't have those memories and then those memories appear yes they were editing his own story as they were and You didn't have to explain it. It made sense. He was questioning it and then it made sense. So it was like, oh, okay. So you don't either. So the way that they kind of use that as a device to change the original text isn't jarring because we have that moment of disbelief and then it makes sense and we're on board. So it's just like suspending that belief and having it be acceptable and not messing with your core.
0: Yeah. And that of course is another way in which uh, you're, you're so right to recall that. Um, Another fundamental parameter that they're changing, right? It was all about, we're going to go back and reintroduce you to things that you already know, memories that you have and help you to recover those. And now from your new perspective, see the context of them in a new way. Right. Whereas here you had new memories, but I'm, I'm going to go back and change the past.
1: Yeah, gonna, we're gonna take her to the pyramids. I mean,
0: they went traveling around the world and yes. had, like lived a whole You're life. We're
1: gonna meet and... Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh my God, I totally forgot about Marilyn Monroe. That was great. <laughs> yes. yes,
0: that was great. Um, <coughs> yeah, ex- but it's it's uh, it, it's again that was a, a that's a massive tampering of with the original parameters right mm-hmm. like uh, w- mm-hmm. I'm not just going to show you what your past was I am going to show you what your past was but then I'm going to change your past and I'm going to use that to change your future as well mm-hmm. I mean of course it's it's very in the actual scene that's in the bottom right hand corner of this slide when we first see her in the cryogenic mm-hmm. casket on screen he doesn't know who she is he's never seen her before right he's like who's this yeah, you know yeah. she's a pretty one
1: she's my sister she volunteered ages ago i don't care."
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. So, um, so again, we see that the whole, the whole thing that brings around that brings about his change, is manufactured by the doctor changing the past, and yet, it also is the thing. In the end, it almost looked like he's not going to change, because the very thing that brought was bringing about his change into a, a more kind and loving person at the end, ends up. Reaffirming him in his original Scroogeness, right? Mm. Um, so it, it, it's 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 I say it's it's very complex, and I thought was was very rich. But again, it's it is this makes this such a fundamental. Again, when you're when you're looking at similarities and differences, when you're comparing it to the original, right? You know, obviously, if you're saying things like "Well, there are no flying fish in Dickens," you're ob- I mean, missing, the fact that you're missing, missing the, the point. point. Is Methodical. is there is perfectly obvious, right? But even when you look more closely, in this kind of way, you see: Are they changing it? Oh man, are they changing it? Like mm-hmm. those changes are massive changes, as massive as the changes that Scrooge was were, were making. And yet, and yet, I think its relationship, I think it's closer to the original than scrooge I
1: yeah, think that, the changes. Changes are massive, but the impact is not. Yes. You know, like yes. that—that's the big difference. In the end, I
0: think that they are a pro- so. So not only is there that fundamental question of okay, is the core still there? Like, is it still that, that core story? And yeah, yeah, I think the core—the core was uh, clearly yeah. was still there. We still have the Scrooge character, and we're still talking about people changing. Uh, you know, bringing about transformation in someone's life, you know, through these mechanisms. Um, yes, the chorus is still there, but 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 in this one, it's not just that. Here, I think the Doctor Who one is a wonderful example of how you can make deep and fundamental changes to the whole deep structure of the story. And yet, at the end of the day, I would still call okay. it a faithful adaptation.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I, yeah, again, I don't know how I work with the word faithful. But yeah. I know. Faithful. I
0: know that you, I know that you would rather not even use that word at all. I, know, I feel like we I, can't avoid it because like, it's yeah,
1: we can't, but I mean, I, I think I, I play around with like a successful adaptation or satisfying right. adaptation. Like it, it just does a service and it's understandable and believable. So I, I'm, yeah, all those words.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: the only thing that didn't work with this one is not about Christmas Carol, but the frame narrative of the crashing spaceship. Yeah. It just felt like such a convenient way for us to tell a Christmas story. I'm like, that's the best you came up with. Okay. That's well, fine.
0: of course that I feel that I feel is part of the larger trajectory. Um, of the larger story of the Doctor and Amy and Rory, who are the primary characters on the crashing spaceship. Um, I felt like that was hard to, you you just have to accept there's a random crashing spaceship going on and and that's the urgent need for the situation. Um, If you just watch this in isolation, that's kind of all you get with that. Um, That I think, that story, it's a more satisfying frame narrative It's a more satisfying and funnier frame narrative in the larger context. Um,
1: Yeah. Which is kind of Doctor Who's MO.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, yes, both the um, right, exactly. The way that Doctor Who is always balancing the internal story of the episode right, with the Mm -hmm. larger trajectory of you know the longer story of, of 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 the show and of that incarnation of the Doctor. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, th- that's.
1: And and with yeah. all of these, you're you're most definitely still going to get people that want to get up in arms about the fish or about you know fill in the blank with whatever it is. I just saw today like a tweet went out like, what was your favorite part of of 2022? And. You know, loads of people are clipping statements where people said that rings of power failed, that rings of power sucked. That was my favorite part. It's like, I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Like that's That's your highlight of 2022? Right. And what's your basis? You're always going to have those people. It's just a fact. But if you're able to kind of step back from it and look past the fish and see that the core is still the same and the fish are just this beautiful flourish on... You know, one
0: of the letters. Then it's a nice way to enjoy a story. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um Yeah. To me, by the way, the, I, I agree with you. My first thought when I hear people who say like that rings of power was 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 turned out to be awful was their favorite part of twenty twenty two. My my first reaction, like yours, is like pity for anyone. Yeah. Who exactly. Would, you know, feel that way, yeah. but but my second thought is. If you would say that, then you have in my mind voided any right to have an opinion. That is to say, like, the only people who would say that, like, by saying that, you're betraying the fact that you, like, you got what you wanted, right? In other words, like, you want, you were in, before it came out, you were hoping and insisting that it was going to be bad. Um... And therefore, like, and nobody, nobody who approaches an adaptation actively motivated for it to be bad, actively motivated wow. to hate it, is ever going to appreciate. It. I mean, that's that are you almost, saying
1: they're unredeemable? They might be is unredeemable. That
0: what you're I, I think I think I might be saying that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that. I mean, it would take the intervention of Christmas spirits. I think. To change the mind of somebody like that, um,
1: well, and most of them, they might have changed inwardly and secretly loved it, but they would never let that show on Twitter. So you know, you, yeah. you just have to get used to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So what we need, therefore, is to figure out how to apply the Christmas spirit, the Christmas spirit experience, for the people who are. Unredeemably dedicated to uh, uh, to to hating certain adaptations, and Let then me call
1: up Ryan Reynolds to see what we can do. Yeah,
0: yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll say we can make that work. Um, uh, the
1: other so- thing we didn't mention that I feel like we just ought to, because I didn't know about this, was Kat Sass from uh, Signum sent us a note um, just letting us know that this episode from Doctor Who was actually kind of a loose adaptation itself. Stephen Moffat wrote a short story a similar theme quite a different story but kind of a similar theme so was taking like an idea of his own short story which is one of his first published dr who things i think she said 96 or something mid 90s um and then kind of used that idea to create this episode many many years later so even that is really cool that it kind of percolated with him as one version and then took that in a different direction to take the same christmas carol structure and do something quite different with it Yeah. So just continued evidence that you can take a story and retell it many, many ways. Yeah. So long as you don't mess with the (laughs) core.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. People are making suggestions. I have to admit, I kind of love the idea of doing a like, and you shall be haunted by the ghost of adaptations past, and the ghost of adaptation present, and the ghost of adaptation yet to come. Like, yeah. I know what mine would be. That would be that's ki- I, that's actually a really, f- a really fun idea. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like mentally running with this idea in my head and I should probably stop. But um, that's actually kind of fun. It's kind of fun. I oh, like
1: that. would Corey, be the Ghost of Adaptations yet to come or evil the late Ghost of Adaptations present. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I am in this. The talking fruit. <laughs> Maggie is yet to come.
0: <laughs> Score! Awesome!
1: Uh,
0: awesome! Well, uh, th- we're out of time. Look at that—we talked about all four films today.
1: I'm so impressed with us. We're getting so much better at this timekeeping.
0: Yeah, well, um, off and on, but um,
1: we—that we haven't talked about this, so we're doing this with you guys here. But how many are we missing? When are we back? What do you, so yeah, what do we're gonna—we
0: can't do next week. I think we can—we can come back the first week of January. So we'll just miss the one uh, that for it's the good. for the holidays. Um, yeah, we'll be back. One thing, by the way, that I would be a little, so, uh, on the rings of power topic yesterday, um, my son, my son was home from college yesterday for the first day and, uh, my kids requested that they invite their friends over. Last year, we had some friends over and we did a Peter Jackson trilogy marathon viewing last year with like lots and lots of refreshments. Um, uh, Yesterday, we did, uh, at their request, a marathon viewing of season one of the Rings of Power. We did all eight episodes yesterday and and, um, with similar refreshments, though fewer meals because we we did like a meal every other episode, basically. So only four meal opportunities instead of five that you get in the Peter Jackson films um, or six, actually, usually. I feel but, like you'll um, need to
1: publish that menu that sounds like fun
0: it, it was well it was also chosen by my kids so it uh, nice. it, it featured some choices that I wouldn't necessarily so have this, made
1: myself but was this the first time you've
0: watched it since it ended first uh, yes and the first time I've ever watched it all the way through so I yeah. haven't done
1: that yet was yeah it, did it you was find a different experience yeah it was it was interesting I actually I was gonna uh, I was gonna suggest that maybe we come back on the fifth. Because there's a lot of new news with rings of power too that it'd be yeah. nice to kind of like do a touch base one so let's say when we come back we'll do a rings of power slash lord of the rings yeah episode. that's what i was thinking There's, and
0: I, I there i definitely have some some both some reflections on so i have like there are like three sets of things that i was finding interesting about yesterday one was the reflection of going back and watching it again because it was was the first time I'd watched episodes one through seven since seeing episode eight. So I just have some simple like reflections there um, on yeah. what I'll the whole what season was like, now. from that vantage point. Yeah. Uh, second, the experience of seeing all the episodes at once rather than having the break up and, and delays in between, and third, watching it with a couple of people in the room who had never seen any of it at all, and the questions that they asked and the conversations we had, seeing it in that context all at once with people who had never seen it before. So, all three of those things were kind wow. of I had thoughts from all three of those al- angles on the experience from yesterday. So. Um, I would
1: love to watch it all together with, with somebody that hadn't seen it before. Somebody that yeah. isn't as, as close to it as we've been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, fresh, it, was fresh eyes. it was, it was, it uh, was, it was, it was, it was very interesting. Cool. It was very interesting to see. Um, but um, anyway, so, um, uh, so we're. Um,
1: yeah. I do. So, I, I feel like I, I need to plug an adaptation to people though. Okay. Susan Cooper, my love she has an adaptation out um robert mcfarlane who's a famous writer um he took it upon himself to do an adaptation of the dark is rising which is the second book in her five book series called the dark is rising sequence but the dark is rising is kind of the initial story of our our hero um coming into his own power and so they've done, you know, the Lord of the Rings uh, 1980s radio version that BBC did. This is the same thing. So they're doing like a, a, a radio dramatization. It's like 20 minute episodes every day for the next two weeks. And it, they're, the third episode dropped today. So you can do 20 minutes every day and just get this really beautiful story. And they've recorded it in 3D. Recording. So if you were listen to it with headphones in, you can actually hear like a horse coming behind you and like <laughs> snow crunching in front of you. Yeah. So it's been fantastic to listen to on walks and stuff. So highly recommend that over the Christmas break if you uh, want to engage with some Susan Cooper.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, that would actually, as a genre of adaptation, uh, like radio adaptations like audio dramatizations is this something we haven't talked about, which would be interesting to do.
1: And the first, the, there's an intro bit. It's only seven minutes is the first thing that they put out. And their little conversation about that was really interesting, that it just doesn't work as well on film, and this is why it needs to be a told story. And mm-hmm. she's a big storyteller, does a lot of stage plays, and is very involved in The Revels, which is a performance group that does you know, traditional folk tales and things like that. So bringing all of that into the introduction about this is why we're doing it this way was just really interesting. um and phil it doesn't make a difference starting with book two book one she wrote as a fun competition book for a newspaper competition and then just found herself continuing to talk to those characters Mm -hmm. it was really the second one that made the series take off but the characters from the first one come back in the third and fourth and fifth so it's handy to start with the first but you can totally start with the second you're fine and it's on all the podcast platforms, so you don't have to have BBC or anything. You can just go to normal okay. podcast
0: platforms. Yeah, that would be fun. And it would be fun even to go back and talk about the Lord of the Rings BBC. I'd love to do that. Adaptation. I haven't listened to
1: that in years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't listened to that in a long time either. It's not the one I grew it's not the audio version I grew up with. Um, uh, I mean, to my detriment, I think. Um, but uh, um, But anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, uh,
1: that that would
0: would be a fun conversation to have.
1: I mean, I I also still want to have an episode at some point where we talk about really terrible adaptations and I'd have to talk about. I would like to,
0: I would like to test my hypothesis about bad adaptations, teaching you things about the original, that new, that good adaptations do not. Mm Um,
1: I'll think on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um right. So that means ideally I would like to find some bad adaptations of like bad adaptations of good works or always works that we know well that we can that we can comment on. So
1: I've got two, so your turn. Okay.
0: All right. <laughs> all right. We will um we'll figure that. All right. But so we'll do Lord of the Rings next time. We'll do Lord um, of the
1: Rings when we come back January 5th.
0: January 5th. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. awesome.
1: Thanks everybody. Happy Christmas. Yep. Merry right, Christmas everybody. Holiday.
0: Happy holidays and we will uh we'll see you guys in 2 weeks. Thanks everybody. Bye now.
1: Yeah.